Hi everybody, Chris Gathard here, and you're getting a little extra this week. You may have noticed that. You already got your episode, so what am I doing clogging up your feet again? Well, here's what I'm doing. I'm letting you know that I got a new book out. It's an ebook and it's an audiobook, and it's called Dad on Pills, and I'm proud of it, and you're gonna get a free excerpt of that audiobook right now. This whole book is really, you can tell, you're gonna be able to tell very quickly, it comes from the heart. Um, you've heard me talk on the show about how it's really daunting that I became a dad, especially because I'm someone who really doubted my own mental stability for so much of my life, and uh, I was scared. So I'm getting very honest, and I'm putting out a book that's all about here's what it's like to be diagnosed with some mental illness, some mental wellness issues, and also become a father at the same time. It's personal. It's raw. It was kind of hard to write and put out there, and I just really hope you like it. And guess what? For some reason, you can get it for free. It's, it's come out through a company called Scribd who've been very kind to me and who I really liked working with. And their editor, Joanna, was lovely and a joy. And I don't always say that about people uh, in authority who give me notes on my work, but she was the best. Scribd is a platform that's almost like a streaming service, but for books and audiobooks. And it's very cool. And for some reason, they're allowing me to give all of you a 60-day free trial. So if you go to HTTPS colon slash slash try dot scribd dot com slash gethard 60 can sign up for 60 days free you can listen to this audiobook in its entirety right now you can read it before bed whatever you want and you can poke around and see all the great stuff that scribd has to offer that's try dot s c r i b d dot com slash g e t h a r d 60 that's six zero you go ahead you listen to the whole thing and i'm not gonna beg it would be uncouth. But what I will say is this. I've been extremely lucky in my career. The beautiful anonymous fan base has supported me greatly. I've had some stretches lately where you've heard me talk about it on the show, where I've had some swings and misses, some things that whiffed, and that's okay. That's part of the creative process. But I am just humbly coming before you and saying, this is a thing that's funny, but it's also emotional and raw, and it goes in a bunch of different directions. And it's a lot of stuff about beautiful anonymous that I think you like existing in a different form. And it would just be so meaningful to me if you went and got it, if you liked it, spread the word. Uh, it would allow me to do more things like this, which would just be a joy to keep the career going, keep the mortgage paid, keep the family fed, all of these things. So thank you as always for supporting me. And I hope you go to try.scribd.com slash gethard60, sign up for two free months, check out Dad on Pills, check out all the other stuff they have to offer, spread word on it. Thank you so much. I really hope you dig it. Yoga balls, self-doubt, and other things I encountered in birthing class. When my wife Hallie was pregnant, we took a birthing class. It met once a week for nine straight weeks, and it was wild. It was a trip being in a room with so many other people walking their own version of the anxiety-inducing path we were on. I paid close attention to the other dads. I knew my own stress and wondered if I could create some sort of camaraderie by sensing whether they felt stress as well. Maybe we could come together as future first-time dads, finding catharsis in our shared fears. I can't lie, though. I also paid close attention to them because they were a collection of fascinating oddballs. There was a very nice Swiss man who wore a vest every week. I was blown away by this. How are you going to be Swiss and wear a vest every day? I asked Hallie after the second class when it became clear the vest was a thing. It makes you seem like Willy Wonka or something. 
That comparison only rang truer when he told us at the beginning of week three's class that he was a professional chocolate maker. A Swiss vest-wearing chocolate professional. Can you imagine being able to introduce yourself that way at a party? And what do you do? I am a chocolatier. There was the Russian overachiever kid. I say kid because he seemed to be maybe 23 years old, tops, and I was pushing 40. I say overachiever because anytime the teacher asked a question, his hands shot up like we were in third grade. Ooh, 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 he would go, jabbing his hand farther into the air to make sure the teacher saw it. Of course she saw it. There were fewer than 20 people sitting in the room. Ooh, 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 he repeated. Uh, sure. Dimitri, the teacher, would finally say, realizing no one was interested in answering her questions if it meant competing with this kid. Amniotic fluid. It's called amniotic fluid, he blurted out after the teacher asked the name of the liquid that cushions a fetus. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, I knew it, he'd say, turning to his wife. See? Then he'd smile smugly and look around the room at everyone, not realizing all of us knew the answer the entire time. I loved talking with Hallie about this on the way home. I'm here to figure out how to bring a kid into the world, I'd say. Not win at birth class. Everybody's stressed, she'd remind me, and handling it in their own way. There was a guy named Dave who wound up being pretty cool, but the way he introed himself to the class was unbelievable. It was day one. His wife, Amelia, had just introduced herself. She was tiny and very pregnant, and that combo made her look almost perfectly round. If at the end of nine weeks she'd revealed that she wasn't really pregnant, but rather had shoved a beach ball under her shirt so as to infiltrate the birthing class, I would not have been shocked. I don't know why anyone would be compelled to infiltrate a birthing class. A personal vendetta regarding someone else in the class, maybe? Or perhaps an embedded journalist looking to take down the birthing class industry as a whole? This is a moot point, because she was actually pregnant. This is also a tangent. Let's go ahead and move on. Amelia filled us in on a few facts about her life, like what she did for a living, and shared a couple quick jokes and smiles. Then Dave stood up. He took a deep breath, slowly panned the room, made eye contact with all of us, and cleared his throat. My name's Dave, he said. I guess you could say I'm something of an iconoclast. He sat down. Everyone was confused. Amelia glared at him. Iconoclast was a word I'd heard a million times, but never quite knew the meaning of, so I later looked it up. Iconoclast, a person who attacks cherished beliefs or institutions. What an insane way to introduce yourself to a birthing class. My wife is pregnant, but the most important thing about me is that I define myself by the way I question institutions, like the government, for example, and the Catholic Church. Just institutions in general. I question them. I'm also going to be a dad soon. But hey, like Hallie said, everyone was just handling the stress of impending parenthood the way they knew how, right? I was feeling the pressure too, so I assume I was a total weirdo and all of these people are still talking about me, by the way. I bet Swiss vest man and his wife sit around the dinner table, admiring their beautiful Swiss chocolate heiress. Do you remember that bespectacled fellow with the gigantic forehead? I imagine he'd ask. His legs never stopped shaking. A combination of anxiety and OCD, I'd guess. He'd then emit a deep belly laugh and bite into some high-end dark chocolate, maybe with 
gentle notes of hazelnut and just a nip of ginger. The class had some eye-opening content. There was a lot of talk about the pace newborns go at once they're born. It was shocking. And also, as stunning a condemnation of American capitalism as I've ever heard. The basics our teacher broke down regarding a newborn baby's schedule were they wake up, they cry, they eat, they pee and poop, they give you a few minutes to connect with them, they cry, they eat, they sleep. That loop takes about three hours and happens eight times a day, every day, for many months. I was not the only guy in class shocked to hear that. I raised my hand, kind of slack-jawed. The teacher ignored, ooh, 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 Dimitri, who also had his hand up, and called on me instead. Dimitri made a pouty face, as he always did when the teacher didn't call on him. If things go at this pace, how does anyone have time to, you know, work? I asked. Our teacher, Christy, smiled, then explained how it's ludicrous that we expect two people to raise a baby. Human evolution actually wants us to have a band of 30 to 40 people connected via life in the same small village to come together and raise kids. Our brains and bodies are not built to do it the way we do it, but hey, this is what capitalism calls for, so this is how we do it. Thanks, Christy. While much of the class was very valuable, there was also a lot of stuff that wasn't quite for me. Exercises on how to meditate. Helpful, I know, but anytime I've ever tried to meditate, I've fallen asleep. A lot of focus on how to position oneself on a yoga ball during delivery to alleviate the pains of childbirth. This was fascinating, and I paid close attention, but when it was go time for us and Hallie's water broke, we went straight to the hospital and got thrown into the ringer. Hallie was quickly hooked up to a bunch of monitors and told not to get out of bed. We wound up never inflating the yoga ball. It stayed in the box, leaning against the wall. It was never a factor, merely a silent witness to the birth of my son. The yoga ball took up a solid two sessions of the nine-week-long class. More than 20% of the entire class was on yoga ball strategies, and the thing stayed in the damn box. I would have loved to have paid two-ninths less for a class with a less yoga ball-focused curriculum. Maybe we could have switched out one of the yoga ball sessions for a how-to-not-get-lost-trying-to-find-your-way-back-to-your-wife-and-newborn-child-after-going-to-the-cafeteria-in-the-basement class, and the other with a how-to-fall-asleep-on-a-weird-little-couch-with-vinyl-cushions-while-staring-in-fear-across-the-room-at-a-human-you-helped-invent-out-of-thin-air class. Those would have been way more useful for me. There was another week where all the non-pregnant birth partners had to dip our hands into vats of ice. It was time to the average rate of contractions, so we could also experience discomfort and pain on a similar timeline. So we could empathize, you know? I must admit, I enjoyed that week. It was funny to see the other dads plunging their fists into ice. The iconoclast really didn't like it. My guess is that there were too many rules, and the whole thing felt institutional to him in a way his iconoclastic soul couldn't handle. It was fun to watch all the guys hoot and holler as their hands got ice cold. The whole lesson kind of reminded me of a sadistic game show. For as fun as it was, I'm not sure how similar this was to the birthing experience. When Hallie was delivering Cal, I got the distinct impression that it was more painful than putting her hand in a bucket of ice. You can probably tell that I rolled my eyes a lot during the class. I did my best, but the hippy-dippy side of it just wasn't for me. Like I said, the useful parts were useful, but a lot of it either confused me or made me giggle. I mean, we had snack time each week. Adults. Snack time. That doesn't feel like a rigorous academic setting or a let's get ready for baby boot camp. That feels like grown-ups eating cheese sticks and then somehow trying to take each other seriously afterwards. 
It's difficult to have a straight-faced conversation with another person in their 30s after we've both just snacked on fruit roll-ups. But there was one hippy-dippy week that I just couldn't roll my eyes at. We had to sit in chairs across from our birthing partners and express, out loud, three hopes we had about parenting and three fears we had about parenting. As I sat down, I was chuckling, imagining what the other dads might say. I hope my son is just and fair as the iron-fisted ruler of a chocolate empire that spans multiple continents. I hope my kid gets every question correct before anyone else has a chance to even think about the answer, let alone raise their hand. I'm Dave. And as something of an iconoclast, I pray my child questions authority at every turn. Fuck the system! The internal laughter stopped when I sat down, looked my wife in the eye, and realized I had to complete the task at hand. Three hopes about parenting. Three fears about parenting. We were allowed to go in any order. I started with a fear. I hadn't thought too hard about it before sitting down. I just blurted it out. I'm scared our son will be like me. I said it. I meant it. I felt myself crying as I said it. I heard myself say it and understood how sad it was to say it as I said it. And I cried even harder. It's true. I really, really hope my son is not like me. Not universally, of course. There are certain ways in which I think I set a good example. I believe I treat people with kindness more often than not. I have some ethics I'm proud of, and I haven't sold out on them too hard or too often. I mean, there was that one time where I accepted payment to host a private event that was basically the Oscars for a shoe company, but there have only been a few things that weird or gross in a two-decade-plus career as a comedian and actor. I've really tried to do things my own way, and I hope Cal picks up on that when it's time for him to navigate the world. That being said, I spend so much time as a parent quietly praying, praying that my son, my child, this beautiful boy with his big goofy grin doesn't feel this thing I have felt so often in my life. The depression, the manic moments, the dangerous instincts. It breaks me to dwell on the idea that he could inherit those things from me. The other depressed people out there know, though, the, the real thing I don't ever want him to feel. Yeah, all those other feelings are bad, but they're nothing when stacked up against the loneliness. The loneliness. Good God is being mentally ill lonely. I am here for my son every day. And I know I always will be. And yet I know if he inherits my brain chemistry, that will not matter. And there will be stretches of life where he feels a loneliness that is hard to describe. The way I think of it sometimes, it's a miserable thought. But to other depressed people, I bet it rings true. Depression is the gun, but it's the loneliness that's the bullet. You ever notice that loneliness, it's the sidekick to all the shittiest feelings in life. It's the Robin to every shitty Batman. When I've been at my saddest, I've also felt intensely lonely. Anger, desperation, the height of self-loathing. They all suck. They all crush me. And they're all coupled with feelings of loneliness I would not wish upon my worst enemy. Let alone my son. I sat in that classroom across from my wife. The same classroom where I'd learned walking meditation and ate hummus and pretzel snack packs with other grown-ups. And I bawled like the baby we were about to bring into this world. 